All right, if you would, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles with you. If not, it'll be on the screen. And uh, as you turn there, would you please stand as we read the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and God, sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say everything, every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven." For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city, on a hill, <clears throat> a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Under a, no, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that you may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. Let's pray. Nearly Father, we just thank you for who you are and for this opportunity to gather here together and worship you, um, to sing songs and to and to fellowship, and to just think about you this morning, God. And I pray that uh, today as we, we think about what church is and, and why we're here, Lord, that you would just help us to, to open our hearts to what you might have to say to us And uh, during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can be seated. So I titled this sermon, We the Church. Um, and so basically it's about church. And uh, as I was thinking about what scripture to use, I was looking through the, the Sermon on the Mount because it's one of the greatest sermons we hear Jesus speak. There's a lot in it. And I wanted to some way kind of like gather it into one thing and try to, try to read it all at once and, and uh, kind of splice things together. But I didn't have time to figure out how to do that. And so I read the first 16 verses and I thought, this is pretty good. This is a good description of what the church is about, who we're supposed to be, and uh, and things that we're supposed to be living out. And so uh, I, I'm going to go through, just, I just want to talk about what I'm going to be preaching on today. I just want to lay it all out. I'm, I'm going to start by talking about what church is. And so some of you guys might already think, well, I already know what church is. And maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't, I don't know, maybe you might be surprised. Uh, um, but we're going to talk about that for a little bit. And then we're going to move into... Um, we're going to move into from what church is to kind of talk about the American church. Because in America, we kind of tend to have our own ideas of what church is. 
And it's not with hope, it's not with a thought to bash the American church, but just to think about what we kind of view as church sometimes and our, our thoughts on that. And then we're going to move into kind of a Christian history. So for the past 2,000 years, kind of what Christians have gone through throughout the past 2,000 years. And then hopefully as we think about what they've gone through, we'll encourage us to look from the perspective of just how blessed we are in this country. Because sometimes we don't think we are as Christians. Sometimes we don't think that we, we have a dagger, like everything seems to be going wrong. And that might be what you're thinking. Like, well, how can you say that we're blessed in this country, that everything's going well because all these things are happening. But the truth is like, we are really blessed as Christians in this country, and sometimes we take that for granted. And, and that's, that's what the whole thing, and hopefully that will encourage us to, to praise God, to thank him, to be grateful, and to live out the things that he has chosen for us to live out with. So the first question is, what is church? And that seems like it would be a pretty simple answer, um, but just in case, we'll go over what church is. So maybe sometimes you've heard the phrase, Church is not a building, it's the people. Hence why I, I titled this sermon, We the Church. It's a play off of the phrase, We the People, uh, because it's not a building, it's people. And, and sometimes we have this idea, and, and it's hard, even while I'm talking about this, I'm going to say the words go to church, because I've grown up in an environment where that's just what we talk, that's how we talk about church. But it's important to distinguish the difference between a building and the group of people which is found all over the world, and not just in a building, but out on streets and, and just everywhere. And so, and so that's what we're going to do. Church is not a building. So as Sarah and I, we were on our honeymoon last week, not this, not this past week, but the week before, and we went up to the Smoky Mountains, lovely place. I don't know how many of you guys have been there, but um, it's beautiful out there. And we were driving around, and as we were driving around, we saw so many churches uh, just like really close to each other. A lot of Baptist churches as we were driving around. Um, and kind of the reverse around here, you kind of see more Lutherans. Like I think there's at least like four in this town. Um, but we saw a lot of different churches. We, those kind of country, old-timey churches that are, we've always had kind of a, a taste for, even before we met, like we've always thought that the, individually we've thought that those are just, they're beautiful. Some of those buildings that are built out in the country by churches can be like just neat to look at. And so we were driving past those and saw so many different church buildings. And then uh, I don't know if anybody's been through Cades Cove. But it's basically this long one-lane road that goes through the Smoky Mountains National Park. And on that road, it's got like places that you can get off and you can, there's cabins that were built around late 1800s-ish time frame. And you could get out and walk into those cabins and see where people lived. I've always been intrigued by those things, so that was neat to me. And there was all sorts of trails that, that we kind of walked on. We kind of wandered off the trail and got lost at one point. Not lost, but we wandered where we, we could have gotten eaten by a bear. That might be dramatic, but it, it could have happened. There was a bear not too far behind us. But, um, but anyways, there was also these primitive churches that, uh, that were there. Churches that were used long ago, but just set empty for the general public just to check out. And so you could stop, you could walk into these churches, and it's not like we got to walk into one. It was really neat. It was just neat to think about that time period and what could have happened there, and it's interesting to us. And, um, and so, but, but none of those buildings, as, as beautiful as they are, as historic as they are, is the church. And uh, I, I think about a couple years ago, some of us in here, some of us that are a part of this church, 
we canvassed the community. We went out and we knocked on doors and we, we presented ourselves. We said, we're from First Baptist Church. And we said, is there any way that we can pray for you? You know, we weren't trying to bring them into our church. We were just letting them know, hey, we're here and we'll pray for you and we're here for you. Uh, we had an overall positive response. I don't think that anybody got angry and started uh, arguing or anything like that, as far as I can tell. But um, you know, a lot of them are like, oh, yes, if you could, if you could pray for this person, that'd be great. Uh, some of them are like, no, I'm good, but thank you. And then I think I remember one person that's, when I knocked on her door and asked her if she wanted us to pray for her, uh, she said, no, this church over here takes care of me, but you guys have a beautiful building. And I just smiled and I said, thank you, because uh, we do have a beautiful building. But I wanted to say that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big or elaborate or how beautiful building we are. God's blessed us with this facility to gather together and worship, but it doesn't matter. What matters are the people who are in it, those who belong to Jesus, who have built their faith on him and his teachings and who he is. And so what is church? Well, the best I can describe it is that church is, an, is a community that's found all over the world of individuals who have placed their faith in Jesus, that we believe in who he is. We believe in why he came here. We believe that he is God who stepped into time and came into this world. And we believe that he lived the perfect life that we never can so that he could become the perfect sacrifice that we could never give God. And on the cross, he died for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And on the third day, and he also died our sins so that we could have a relationship with God. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead so that we can live eternally with God. And it also proved who he was. And so we believe that. And as Christians, as a body of believers, those who truly believe that and have given our lives to him were born again. It's also a part of being a part of God's church is being born again. That means that God's opened our eyes and we see the truth and we see our need for God in our lives and we, we base our, we begin to look at what Jesus said and we, we apply that to our lives because we believe it. That's church. That's what church is. Not a building, but people who have placed their faith in Jesus. He is the foundation of what we believe and he's the foundation of what we stand for and live out. That's church. And sometimes in America, we don't think of it that way. I'm not saying everybody, but there's a lot of times we don't think of that. You know, we use the term, go to church. I want to go to church. But I think if we would have told that to Paul the Apostle, he might have been confused. Because I don't think that was a common way of saying things. Church was anywhere and everywhere that gathered, the Christians that had the bond of Christ gathered together and were together that's what church is, and we, get, we take church with us. Um, but again, I grew up in the society, so I actually say the same thing, and I can't drop the habit of saying it, so not going to make a big deal, but it's important to distinguish the difference. So, talked about it being a body of believers who have placed their faith in Jesus, who live by his principles, or strive to live by his principles. We're not always good at it, but we strive to learn and become more like Christ. But more than that, we're not just a group of people. We're a kingdom. Sometimes maybe we don't think of it that way, but Jesus came into this world, and one of the first things he said in, at the opening of his ministry that we read is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's in our midst. It's all around us. Wherever we are, there's the kingdom. And so 
And so we are a part of God's kingdom if we've been born again. That's why it says that unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. Like it exists now and you can't be a part of it unless you've been born again. And so that's what we are. We're citizens of a kingdom. Jesus is our king, and one day he is coming back to establish his kingdom perfectly. There will, like, we don't have that right now, but that doesn't mean we're not a part of his kingdom. But he will establish it perfectly where there will be no more pain, no more evil, no more hatred, no more any of that because it will be perfect and all will be made new. And we look forward to that day. But his kingdom also exists now. So what does that look like? What does people who belong to God's kingdom look like? Well, it looks like what Jesus preached about here in James cha- or Matthew chapter 5, rather. And I'll start at verse 5. Blessed are the humble. Those who belong to Christ strive to be humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who want what's right, who wants what God has for us, those, those people are ones who belong to God. They're a part of the kingdom. Blessed are the merciful. Those who are merciful are a part of his kingdom. Those who show mercy to others. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those who seek to do good, even whenever like it doesn't even make sense to do good because everybody else is doing the bad thing, the wrong thing. The pure in heart. Those are the ones that it says that they will see God. But those are the ones that are descendants of God, children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, the ones that that avoid causing problems and, and, and try to cause peace anywhere they can. These are some of the things out of the whole sermon that if we could read, we could see that there's so many qualities that Jesus says that the people who belong to him should have. And, and, and sometimes it's hard to live these out. And so what does that look like? Well, if you're a child of God, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you live now as if you're already in God's perfectly established kingdom. So what do I mean by that? In heaven, there aren't going to be any mirrors. We're not going to be paying attention to ourselves. We're not going to be worried about all the things that we want to accumulate. It's not going to be about us. We will be perfectly humble. And so now, since we're a part of that kingdom now, we learn to become more like that now in this world because we belong to that kingdom already. In heaven, nobody's going to hold a grudge against anybody. Everybody's gonna, there's no, not going to be a reason to hold a grudge because everybody would be perfect at that point. But no one's going to hold a grudge. And so now, as we live in this world, we learn to let things go, to forgive people. And that's not easy. That's not easy to forgive people because we get so frustrated when, like, we, we want our, what's best for our, in, what's in our best interest. And sometimes when somebody conflicts with that, that bothers us. But Jesus says to forgive time and time again. He says 70 times 7. Right, in case you're wondering, if I did the math right, that's 490 times. But he doesn't just mean 490 times. He's saying just forgive. Right? No matter how many times someone hurts you, learn to forgive them. Learn to let go. doesn't mean that you have to join up with that person again, but you just let go and move on. And when given opportunity, you love them just as if they've never done anything to you. So that's, that's what it's going to look like in heaven, so we learn to live that now. And in heaven, we have no enemies. Nobody will have an enemy. So, here on earth, we live as if we have no enemies. Even those who do not like us and actually maybe sometimes hate us, we learn to love everybody the same as if none of them are our enemies. 
And that's radical. Like, that's a radical way to live because nobody does that. In fact, anytime I mention this on a Wednesday night, I give a variety of responses. Nobody does that. Why would I do that? How do you love your enemy? I'm not doing that. Right? And, and, and we might think that that's, you know, that's kind of funny, but like, that's it's true. Like, we, we don't, that's not how we're, because of our fallen nature, wired to think. We don't naturally think that way. That's part of being born again is that God changes things inside of us so that we think differently. We live differently. We love differently. The opposite way of the way the world does. And when we do that, we stand out. We stand out. And we don't stand out because we're proud of ourselves and we want to make a name for ourselves. But when we behave differently than everybody around us, we're going to stand out. It would be like if I went over to Europe and drove on a British road and I was driving in the right lane. I mean, what do you think would happen? I, I could possibly get in a wreck because that's not the lane I'm supposed to be in or a ticket. Um, but one thing's for sure, I will stand out because they m- might be a good group of people that's like, well, that guy's not from here. And so that's the way we're supposed to be as, as children of God, as a part of his kingdom. We're supposed to have it like we don't want people to look at us and, and praise us for the, like we want glory to go to God, but but we're supposed to obviously not look like we're from this world, but we struggle with that because we're not perfect. We're human, right? We have to strive like we have to be in devotion with God in order for Him to build these things in us. And I know that when I'm farther away from God in my life, it's a lot harder for me to act like this. I actually really struggle with it. And there's been many a times when I'm not in devotion with God, I look like the world. In my attitude, in my behavior. And it's frustrating because I don't want to be that way. God has created something in me that desires to be the opposite of that way. But because of my flesh, I often fail at that. And in this country, many of us as Christians, we always fail at this. But sometimes it's because we're distracted. Sometimes it's because we got other things going on. And, and to be honest, a lot of times we, we talk about all of this being church and Christianity. Like, we don't think of church the right way in this country a lot of times. And we learn that in many situations, but especially after COVID, when churches closed down and people stayed home and when the doors opened back up, they didn't come back. And I can remember somebody telling me, oh, it's awesome. I can wake up. I don't even have to get dressed. I can sit around in my underwear and just watch church on TV. And it's like, yeah, but that's not really church. And that's the common misconception among Christians. Church is not just gathering on a Sunday morning and and singing songs with each other and then hearing some guy uh, preach for 30 to 40 to 50 minutes. Church is a community that we're supposed to be around each other. In fact, Jesus tells us to be around each other. Jesus turned to his disciples and he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. He's talking to his disciples that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, in order to love one another, we have to be around each other. We can't isolate ourselves from others. We have to be a part of the community. And that's why also Jesus says in John chapter 15, I believe, that talking to the Father, he says, I pray that you would make them, meaning his followers, meaning us, one as you and I are one. To to live of one accord, to, to rejoice with each other, to cry with each other, to encourage one another. 
that's church. And we live it out, and we reach out into our communities together, and that's church. And oftentimes we have our own ideas of what church is. You know, I I think a lot of people tend to think, you know, well, if church isn't like this, it's not church. And, you know, if it's not got this type of music, it's not church. If it's not this type of building, it's not church. If it's not this version of the Bible, which I've heard many times, it's not church. And, and, and that's wrong. In fact, when Sarah and I were driving around the hills of um, Smokies, I told her as we were looking at some of these churches, I said, you know, I've heard somebody say, and it was long ago before I was even here, I've heard somebody say that if it doesn't have a steeple with a cross at the top of it, then it's not a church. And I'm like, that's, that's, an, that's a very American way of looking at it. That's a, very, like, that's a very 21st century church in a first world country way of looking at it. Because that doesn't matter. Like, I, I preached at a church where there was no steeple. And I don't even remember if I saw a cross. And they were some of the most loving, Christ-centered people ever. And that would have been a slap in the face to them to say that. We, we think that way sometimes, though. The building's not the right way. This isn't the right way. And we fail to remember that we've only had Christianity like this for a few hundred years where we've been able to gather in these buildings comfortably and and talk about Jesus and say his name without fear of death. Like it's a very small window and sometimes we can only see right now and so we think this is how church is. We don't think past what we know now. We don't think back sometimes to how it was because it wasn't always like this. This is a very, like I would say 99% of Christian history was not like this at all. The road of Christian history is not paved with nice, comfortable buildings that we can gather in. It's not paved with the luxury of being able to say I'm a Christian and gather with each other openly and, and living through that. It's not paved with a lot of happiness. Maybe joy, but not a lot of happiness. There's a difference between the two. The road of Christian history is paved with sorrow and torture and blood. And we don't think about that sometimes because we get so caught up in our own little world that we don't tend to think back that there were many Christians who laid down their lives for the namesake of Jesus Christ. People who had their heads cut off people who were filleted alive, people who were ripped apart physically, people who were fed to lions, people who were tied to crosses at the shoreline that when the tide would come up, it would drown them, but they'd have to wait till the tide come up and they knew their death was coming and they couldn't do anything about it. People who were tied to posts and set on fire and, and some people set on fire on Roman streets, lit on fire like torches to light the Roman streets at night. Christians who were chained together and they would, they would line them up over a, right next to a body of water and they'd push one in and the next person would go in and the person, next, that person after that would go in until they were all in and then they all drown. Fed to lions. The list could go on. Things that we know nothing about in this country. And many of them went silently like Jesus did. Not fighting, not 
trying to stop everything. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't pleasant for them, but many of them did what Jesus did. When the Bible says he went like a lamb to the slaughter, he didn't open his mouth. Many of them did that. I think about this movie I watched, and I have the book, I just never read the book. I have that problem of reading the, or watching the movie before I read the book, and then I have no interest in reading the book. But anyways, there was this guy by the name of Richard, and I can't pronounce his last name, so we we're going to move on from that. Uh, but he, was, he lived in Russia, communist Russia, and he was sharing the gospel. And so he got arrested, and for 14 years he was in prison in a cell that was deep in the ground. And while he was there, he was tortured all the time. He would share the gospel in prison, they would torture him. He would share the gospel in prison again, they would torture him. He would be found praying in his cell, and they would torture him. And one of the ways that they tortured him, and I'm sure there were many more than this, they would tie their feet up and beat the bottoms of their feet with a rod until they were practically broken so they couldn't even walk still share the gospel. His wife was put in prison at a different prison. He couldn't see anymore. His son was wherever the son was, and, and, and he, would still, he would still be found in his cell praying. And then one time, the guard peeks into the cell, and he sees him praying, and he opens the door, and he's like, praying? Praying again? You fool. Your wife is in prison. Your son is an orphan. Your life is gone. What could you possibly have to pray for? And he looks up at the guard and he says, I was praying for you. The guard was shocked, speechless. A lot of times we don't do that in America. We don't respond that way in America. All you have to do is get on Facebook or any other social media platform and we see many Christians all over the place posting things and writing things and commenting on things that Jesus would have never condoned. He never would have said it was okay. And that's because we've taken our minds off of what matters as Christians in this country There's a lot of things that Jesus gives us that matters, and then there's a lot of things that causes us to get frustrated and angry, and I think we've taken our attention off the things that matters and put it on the things that cause us to get frustrated. And I think many of it is because we're listening to the louder voices that are around us. And so I just want to encourage this, and do what you want with it. You don't have to listen to what I say. That's fine. I'm just going to encourage you this. I encourage you to, to not watch political news and to stay away from political articles and things of that nature. And the reason why is because they're actually designed to do one thing, to cause fear and anger. Pay attention to your emotions when you watch those things. They're designed to cause fear and anger, and they're really good at it. And they actually get their ratings off of that, which is sick when you really think about it. I encourage you not to, to not put that into your head. Jesus tells us not to focus on those things. It's in this sermon. He tells us not to worry about the things that we have no control over, that if we put our faith in him and we look for his kingdom, he's going to take care of us. Maybe some of you are thinking that I'm ridiculous for saying don't watch political news, and that's fine. Like, you don't have to listen to me. But I would encourage you to listen to what Paul the apostle has to say. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. Share in the suffering as a good, shoulder of, a good soldier of Christ. Right off the bat, he's saying, as a good soldier of Christ, you're going to suffer because of the things we believe in. He goes on to say, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he completes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get the share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding. So what he's saying, he's comparing us to a soldier in a distant land. And he's saying a good soldier goes where they're supposed to go and they don't get entangled in the affairs of the land that they're in. And we're not... As Christians, we don't belong to this country. I know we were born here. As far as I know, all of us were raised here. But we don't belong to this country. We belong to a different kingdom. And we're here for a different purpose than anybody else. And so what Paul has encouraged us to do, don't spend your time getting entangled in the issues that everybody else is constantly thinking about. And we know what those are because we have the internet and we can see what those issues are. He tells us to focus on Christ and, and focus on pleasing him and focus on why he has us here. Now I know that's not easy because I get frustrated over some of the things that I'm hearing and I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it. I stopped watching the news but I still hear things and I'm like, why is that happening? but I try my best not to spend my time thinking about it or, or letting it go into my head. And, and, and that's helped me a lot, especially like with uh, circumstances of bipolar because it really messed with me when I was watching it all the time. But, but, but Paul tells us not to do that. Paul tells us not to get entangled in issues that are not really our concern. I mean, I know this is our country, but there's not a thing we can do about the things that are going wrong except for pray to God and then move on towards what he has for us to do while we're here. Because we are the light of the world. By the way, that whole persecution thing, sometimes we get worried about persecution that might be coming to us. This is what Jesus says about that. You are blessed when they insult you. Do we feel blessed when somebody insults us? Not typically. You're blessed when they persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil thing against you because of me. Be glad Rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Oftentimes we don't think that way. And it's not just us in America. There's Christians all over the world who, who struggle to, to find joy in the suffering because of persecution. But it's definitely here in our country. Because we're the salt of the earth. And we're not supposed to lose our flavor we get so distracted thinking about all these other things, we can lose the flavor that we have. We can become bitter. We become angry. And, and we don't, when we become those things, we don't stand out anymore. We're no longer salty. We've lost our flavor. That's why we're supposed to focus on the things that Christ has given us to think about. Now, before I move any further, I, I, want, I always want to assert this, Okay? I'm not hammering on this church. This is all over the country. Um, this is not something I came up to like point my finger at you guys. This is in my heart too. Uh, and I say that because you guys are an amazing church. There are many of you in here who have hearts for the Lord 
And that was proven in various ways. There are some of you who do things for others that no one ever knows about, but you do it because it's the right thing to do. And there are those of you who get involved in serving in a public manner. I think about, I think about uh, during the summer, we had some fun events with the youth. And I asked, well, we asked for supplies for s'mores. And the next thing I know, I have like 10 boxes of graham crackers and eight packets of chocolate and, and, and marshmallows. It's like, okay, we, we don't need any more, but thank you. Like, you guys are giving. You have good hearts. And that, go, that doesn't go unnoticed. And I think about a couple months ago when we had this dinner. Um, Marlene had planned, had came up with this idea to plan this dinner where we have some of the adults from our congregation come on a Wednesday night and sit with, at the tables with the youth and just talk to them. And, and we had multiple people who came and got involved in making the meal, and it was just a really good night. I, I didn't know what was going to happen because a lot of times they eat, and then they come up to me and say, what are we doing next? But the whole time they sat there and they just talked. Like there was conversations going all around the table. And I know that maybe some of you who participate in that are thinking maybe, like, I didn't really do anything, but you did. You did because that doesn't happen for a lot of them. Right? And what you did was more than just ask questions. You paid attention to them, and you made them feel like what they had to say and talk about was important, and, and they were valuable. And, and that's three-fourths of what I'm learning. Like, youth ministry has been about just, like, paying attention to them and, and hearing them and, and asking them questions and, and see, helping them to see that they're valuable. You know, I remember whenever I was a kid, every evening after getting home to school, we'd start on homework or, or whatever, and uh, mom would be fixing food, and before you know it, like, she would, she would be done, and, and everybody would stop what they were doing. We'd go to the kitchen table, and every night a different person would pray, and then we'd eat, and we'd talk about our days, and we'd talk about things that are going on. And those were some of the most fond memories that I ever have as a child. Uh, but a lot of children are growing up without that today. And so that was special. And I'm grateful for those of you who got involved in that. I'm grateful for Marlene for coming up with the idea. And uh, I encourage those of you who got involved, come back. You know, like it was, it was meaningful. Um, but even if you don't get involved in youth, there, there are those of you who are working behind the scenes. I see some of you, uh, you hear stories about you, even if you don't intend for everybody to find out. You hear stories about some of the things you've done. And so this church is blessed. And so it's not hammering on this church, but there are many of us at many times who get distracted and, and we kind of can, can sometimes forget what church is about and we can go our own way for a little while and, and, and we need to refocus we need to refocus and think about what Jesus has for us to do and what kind of people we're supposed to be. We need to read Jesus' words to remember what kind of people what we're supposed to be because we forget so easily uh, uh, the things that we're supposed to know sometimes um, and then live that out because we are the light of the world. So in summary, I want to kind of give an illustration and it might be too sentimental or, or gushy, I don't know, but I'm going to say it anyways, um, that, that we as Christians were supposed to be ready for Christ to come back um, and waiting for him to come back. When I say waiting, I don't just mean like, like standing up in the sky and looking, but um, I, I was thinking about this as I, we were on our honeymoon. We were in a cabin 
and right behind our cabin, there was a deck you could walk out and you could see the mountains. They were pretty close to where we were at. It was one of the most beautiful places I'd ever stayed at. Um, and throughout the week, um, I, I would wake up in the morning, go use the bathroom, and I'd come back and I'd see the sky as the sun was rising. I'm like, that's beautiful, but I couldn't stay awake, so I'd fall asleep. But I wanted to see it. And so Friday night comes around, and all of a sudden God puts this uh, sermon on my heart, and, and I can't stop thinking about it. And uh, my mind likes to race with what I deal with. And, and so I, I found myself not able to sleep. 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. And by then I'm like, you know what? I'm not sleeping. I'm going to watch the sunrise. So I would wait at the door looking out, and it was dark. The, the stars were brighter than I had seen in a long time. Most of that week it was cloudy, and you couldn't really see the stars that well at night. But I saw them very clearly that night. They were twinkly, and um, it, it was beautiful. And so I'd stand at the door, and I'd wait just to see some light. And all of a sudden there was light that just went across, just a little bit of light. And so I grabbed myself a cup of coffee to go sit down and watch it. I got in the hot tub because there was a hot tub on the back of our deck, and after about five minutes of that, I'm like, this is stupid. It's not a good combination to drink coffee in a hot tub while it's warm out. So I got out of the hot tub and um, just continued to watch. And, and before you knew it, like, the sun started, like, you couldn't see the sun, but the light started getting brighter. And the mountains were silhouettes. Like, you couldn't make out any detail. Like, you couldn't really see the mountains that great before, but now they were silhouettes across the sky. It was beautiful. And as, as the sun got a little higher, all of a sudden you could kind of see some trees a little bit, and you could hear the birds flying out of the trees, and, and uh, you could see a little bit of fog over the mountains, and... Some of the birds were really annoying, but they're God's creatures, so whatever. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, it just got even more beautiful that it would rise. You would finally be able to see the definition of the mountains and everything. And then I waited for so long. Like, it seemed like forever that I was waiting. But then I finally saw the sun uh, rise, and it was just, it was an experience. And maybe it was because I lacked sleep, but I thought it was an amazing experience. Um, but I waited a long time for it. And the point of this is, is that we as Christians, we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And sometimes it seems like we're waiting forever. And sometimes maybe like it seems like we catch a glimpse of what might be through his word, through, through the love that we share. Um, but it feels like we're waiting a long time. But he is coming back. And, and the point of this is that when he does come back, he's going to bring something beautiful with him. He's going to bring an eternal kingdom where there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears. All will be made new and perfect. And the question is, are we waiting on that? Not like I was waiting on the sunset, just sitting still stupidly in a hot tub, waiting for it, but just wait, like, are we living out our faith? Are we taking the advantage of what God has given us? Because this is an amazing time. If you look, in order to be appreciative of what, what we have now, we have to look back. Because oftentimes we lack hindsight to look back and see where we've been. And when we see where we've been, we have to thank God for what we have in this country. I mean, really thank him until we become grateful. And that will push us to live out our faith. Lots of blood has been spilled to get us to this point of where we are in Christian, America, Christianity. Like lots of people have shed their blood for us to get here. Let's not waste that. Let's not make that in vain. Let's live our lives for Christ as best as we can until he comes back. I'm going to pray. 
Dearly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here, Lord, and to think about you and all that you, that you give us, all the ways that you've blessed us, Lord. God, if we were to count, we wouldn't stop counting the ways that you've blessed us in our personal lives and in this country, God. I pray that as we go throughout the week that you would just help all of us to, just to bring to our minds the things that we have and to help us to see how blessed we are in this country, Lord, that we have a reason to be full of joy and gratitude. And God, it's hard when we look around and we see the things that are going on and everything is doom and gloom and and sometimes, Lord, we just want to throw our hands up and sometimes it's hard to want to try to live for you when so many different things are just bogging us down. God, I pray that you'll help us to find peace in you, to find peace that the world can't give us, Lord, but you can. And may that peace guide us through your spirit to live a life that is pleasing and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen.